All right, lead heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. This is episode 286, and this episode is presented by the official optics of Talking Lead, Right On Optics. It's R-I-T-O-N Optics. Make sure you guys go to their website, check out their full line of scopes, red dots, and they've even got some binoculars there that you guys are really going to love. Rightonoptics.com. So if you guys haven't had an opportunity to listen to last episode, 285, we had one of the co-founders of Cryptech Camouflage on. We had Butch Whiting, and it was a really good interview there with Butch talking about how he and Josh Cleghorn started the company while they were serving together over in Iraq. And then we get to learn a little bit more about Butch with the new guy line of questions. So go back, check that episode out. And this episode, we're not going to be any different. We're going to keep delivering for you guys. Great interview with Bob Taylor of Taylor Guitars, world-renowned makers of musical instruments and uh, just an icon in the music industry, Bob Taylor. We get to talk about a really cool project that... Bob has started over in Africa, and I think he's doing it in Hawaii and maybe a couple of other places, but he recently bought a sawmill uh, down in Cameroon, Africa, and uh, the things that they are doing there with the ebony uh, and the people and the agriculture and the economy uh, is just amazing. So he's going to talk about uh, all the life-changing and environmentally changing projects that he is doing with the company called Creeley Cam. And C.J. Buck joins us for this interview. But first, we're going to take care of some jack wagons. So, Gunny, bring that jack wagon train in. Hey, Ralph, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week. So, brace yourself, baby. All right, so we've got several jack wagons to take care of this week. And several of you, we'll go ahead and take care of this one first. Uh, it seems to be the top of everyone's list right now is that actor from the TV show. I think it's called Empire. I've never watched it. Uh, actually, Tia's worked on that that show before, but the guy's name is Jesse Smollett, and I think it's pronounced Jesse maybe, but he spells it weird. Um, and this comes from, so like I said, several of you leadheads. Jason Edgar sent it, Austin Whalen, Doug Cross, a couple other you guys uh, sent this in. So uh, let's take... Let's take Austin. Says the actor Jesse Smollett was attacked by two men after leaving a subway in Chicago. He said that they were two white guys wearing ski masks and red MAGA hat and yelled, this is MAGA country. And M-A-G-A, make America great again. Of course, that was Trump's big big thing. Uh, says, now when I first heard of this, I wondered who would wear a hat on top of a ski mask. That's weird. Anyway, after the attack, he arrived at a police station with a nose with a noose around his neck and still had his subway sandwich. Of course, the media ate it up, but upon further investigation by Chicago PD, discovered he staged the whole thing. He paid the two guys to do it. Says he faces felony charges and is uh, definitely a jack wagon. So, yeah, I mean, this guy definitely deserves uh, a spot on the jack wagon train. I think probably they're, we're going to find that most of the accusations on him are true. But, you know, like everyone, he deserves his day in court, and the full truth will come out. Uh, and I think in uh, in light of this, there have been several other stories that have come to the surface where people have faked other accusations, uh, racist accusations, uh, and, of course, they're blaming it all on, you know, they were blaming it all on Trump. So, um, 
yeah, interesting to see how this is going to turn out and, uh, you know, where this is going to lead towards all those other uh, false false claims of racism, of fake racism. So there's one, and, and I'm gonna we're going to do a quick jack wagon uh, because I want to get into this interview, uh, and you guys are going to find out that after this episode, there's going to be another one that drops right behind it, and there's going to be another one that drops right behind that one too. So uh, plenty of opportunities for more jack wagons coming up on our uh, future episodes. But I want to take care of a couple of these. Another one is Robert Kraft. He's the owner of the New England Patriots football team. Uh, he was recently busted at some sort of a uh, rub and tug spa, <laughs> massage parlor or something like that. That headline news story has brought to the surface a deeper, darker uh, problem that exists in this country and uh, across the world is the human trafficking. And with that being said, I'm working on getting Craig Sawyer on the show, which Craig heads up an organization that um, is focused on child rescue and combating child trafficking. So uh, that's kind of how that's going to tie in with our hopefully soon interview with Craig Sawyer, Craig Sawman Sawyer. And then, of course, another big one that uh, is on the top of all of the 2A community right now, and they're really getting blasted and put on notice, is Benchmade Knives. Uh, they made a statement over the weekend. There was a local police station there that um, needed to destroy some confiscated firearms, and Benchmade accommodated them and destroyed those firearms, and I guess they've been doing that to service that they offer to that local police station. Uh, but they've really been flambayed and, and blasted uh, about this action that they've done, being accused of being anti-2A, so on and so forth, uh, which at you know some level it, it really is, and I agree with that. Um, but what really put me over the top was the information that came out about their campaign donations and all the donations that they were giving to the left wing and a lot of the anti-gun candidates that they were supporting. Uh, so that really pushed me over the top uh, in in backing all these accusations against them. So, yeah, definitely welcome to the jack wagon train, Benchmade Knives. I mean, we, we really need to get behind companies that support our Second Amendment, that support our Constitution. You know, great companies like Keltech, like Ride-On Optics, like Buck Knives. I mean, you guys want to support a knife company that is behind our Second Amendment rights, uh, our environment, our law enforcement, our military, our first responders. You know, go buy a Buck Knife. Show them your support. Go buy a Ride-On Optics. Go to Keltech Weapons. Buy one of their new 22s, one of their new KS-7 12-gauge shotguns. Modern Spartan Systems. These are all great patriotic companies where they're veteran-owned. They employ a lot of veterans. They support our law enforcement, military men and women. Those are the kind of companies that you want to get behind. And that's the companies that Talking Lead is behind. And that's the type of companies that back Talking Lead. So you guys, go show your love, show your support for all these sponsors of Talking Lead. And with that being said, Gunny, get that jack wagon train out of here. Let's jump into our interview with Bob Taylor, and then I'll be right back. Yeah. I'm going to call you Lefty. Okay. Or Marty. You're both. <laughs> and Lefty is because you're left-handed? There's a story behind it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, guys, we are back with more from the 2019 SHOT Show at the official lead quarters of the Talking Lead Studio, Buck Knives. And we have got a great interview lined up for you lead heads right now. We have the legend himself. We have Mr. Bob Taylor of Taylor Guitars. Thank you, Lefty. Nice to be here. Yes, sir. And, and you've brought along a, a colleague, a friend of yeah, yours. Yeah, well, uh, well, this is Louisa like Wilshire. She's a uh, uh, partner in our uh, sawmill. Okay. Now, Louisa lives in Madrid, Spain. Madrid, and from Spain. there, they, they sell musical instrument wood to guitar builders, guitar factories all around the world. So together, we cut this wood in Cameroon. Uh -huh. Ebony, in particular, which we Africa use on guitars. Africa for you guys who uh -huh. are looking up uh, that on Google right now. Yeah, so <laughs> so uh, when you when you picture Africa on your globe, think of the big the big bulge on the west coast, and when it comes down to the waist, Cameroon's right in that corner. Right, they're kind of. A lot of people know it because they're they're uh, they're soccer team. Oh, they have a soccer team. Yeah, they got a pretty famous football team. That's and right. Over there, they call it football. 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 <laughs> So, so the, the whole rest of the world calls it football. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lefty, and thank you, Bob. And what, what's the name of the football team? Uh, Cameroon is their it's country, just, yeah. Okay. But they have many footballers over in, in Europe representing them in big teams. Obviously, I'm not a soccer guy, so uh, you'll, you'll have to educate me on, on that. But you're well, not the best, a soccer person either. No the best idea. one lives in her city. That's right, yeah. yeah. Real Madrid. <laughs> and that is which one? Um, I don't know footballers, but we have one of the best um, teams, teams in the world, the Real Madrid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Now, do you play soccer? I don't. No? <laughs> Never took up the sport, Never, huh? no, no, no. What about you, Bob? No, I, I'm, it reminds me of a sport. I'm not a sporty <laughs> guy. You're not a sporty <laughs> guy. I don't even watch sports. Yeah, I, I spend my time doing woodworking, making guitars, so let's driving around. I do a lot of outdoor stuff. Yeah. I've done a lot of expeditions. I, I like overland expeditions in my Land Cruiser. Uh -huh. I got a buddy, German friend, who uh, we've traveled all through the Sahara, out there in the sand. Amazing. Two, three days of sand dune driving to get to the nearest road. So you're just kind of following GPS and trying to stay in the country that you have right. a visa for. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to Otherwise, it's Libya or Algeria or something and like you're that in you're trouble. going into. Yeah. And, uh, and then we do the same thing in Baja places in the US when we do that where I think a lot of your listeners might relate we say when we when we go out in our land cruisers we're allergic to pavement and people you know <laughs> you like to go way out when you go out we like to get out where where we get away from everything yeah, yeah. no cell phone you know uh, no fast food do some of the things that you want to do not too many people to ask right. if you want to drop a hook in a stream or throw one in the which you know. one of your most memorable expeditions? The first time we went to uh, uh, the Sahara, we were supposed to be joining this rally race that they call the Dis Libya Desert Challenge. We don't race. Oh, okay. I don't like I was racing. Because that race. reminds me of a sport, too. Yeah. And um, competition. Yeah. <laughs> what I like to do is just explore yeah. and camp, cook. But this race decided to put together a, uh, what they call an adventure class. And they said, look, we have the, the girth and the race. Of, uh, we have the girth of this race going along. We have cook trucks. We have visas. We have all this. My German buddy wrote me an email. Bob, we could do this. So we bought two cars. We had two cars here, so we yeah. bought a couple of Land Cruisers. This was back in 2004. Okay. I took my daughter. I took a friend. 
got another friend, we got two cars, flew to Munich, drove to Genoa, Italy, went a day passage across the Mediterranean on the ferry Carthage, landed in, landed in Carthage. I mean, or, just The old city of Carthage is called, journey, yeah, it's right? called Tunis now, but it's the old ancient Roman city of Carthage. Drove out, wow. we're with this whole thing. Meanwhile, the guy said, I don't actually have the visa for the Americans, but they're coming any minute now. And this whole thing happened days, it was, it was a year of prep and finally days. And we get to where we're in the middle of the desert, we're gonna cross into Libya. And then he comes up and he says, I have a confession to make, I don't have visas for the Americans. Oh no. Me, my daughter, and my friend. So of course my other two friends didn't go. Uh -huh. So there they all went. And we were, there we are, we are sitting in the behind. middle of the Sahara. Two Land Cruisers, no food, because it's all on the food truck. <laughs> we weren't really prepared. Say, this is luck. why I, I want all my own stuff with me. I don't want anyone else to have my stuff. You right, know? right. <laughs> don't depend on anyone. So, Especially in the Sahara, yeah. <laughs> and we made it happen. We ended so up what'd staying. You do? We, uh, How'd you make orange juice out of those lemons? We, we <laughs> went back into town. We went, in, we went into the Tunisian town that's called Tatooine, so every Star Wars fan well, Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine. Yeah. And that's that's a real town. Right. And so we went in there and we met a we met a guy over the phone who was a French Algerian guide living in Germany for years and he brings people in. He had a group of Germans with him. One guy had a, a like a beer delivery truck, a big man four wheel drive. Man is a brand, um, like uh, M A N N. It's a it's sure. one of the the brands of military trucks in Europe okay and so they converted manly trucks yeah it was a manly <laughs> truck it's like a, when I say a man truck I don't want people to think oh what, what, <laughs> well, they don't have a woman truck <laughs> we, we understand I knew what it man. was I thought you guys knew what a man yeah, truck was <laughs> yeah we don't we don't have man here <laughs> we would be saying Hummer or we'd say a deuce and a half or we'd right, say something yeah. like that and everyone here would know well uh, they had turned that into a bit of a motorhome there was five other cars of people and then they had beer in the back of it, which okay. they'd actually smuggled in because it's illegal to have alcohol. It's better than orange juice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that beer and wine, and, and you're not supposed to have it in Tunisia. It's a it's a uh, Islamic country. We uh, met them, but the scary part was meeting this guy. Um, his name was uh, Saro, S-A-R-O. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we're just middle of Tunisia. He comes up at a parking lot and he's like, give me your passports. I'll mm. be back. Uh, that sounds like Cameroon. Louisa, do you ever give up your passport? Uh, no. no. Try no. not to. Yeah, well, we did. Never do that. We did. We gave them all our passports. Uh, and no. we sat there like this with our fingers, you know, like, why did one you minute, two minutes. 30 minutes later, he came back with permits for all of us. Oh. We joined them and we went into, oh, wow. we went into parts unknown. So you're very trusting. <laughs> yeah. Not really, but I mean, that was a, that was extreme. Well, he came recommended. We found recommendations. Okay. He okay. seemed like a good guy. He's German. So he was vouched. Yeah. And so that that was adventurous, just because of well, we like uh, problems and dilemmas. Sure. Not particular problems. Opportunities. And dilemmas like that. yeah, that's good. So, and then the then the easy stuff is remote in Baja California. That's sort of our backyard. We love that. We love being out there yeah. and fishing, sitting around, driving. We love the driving. Right. We love the remoteness. Just like so. looking at nature, being around the nature, and taking it all in. 
Yeah, we went up through, we went to the Carpathian Mountains, Tilo and I, one trip, so we went all the way up through Dracula country, you know, and, <laughs> and we spent a couple of weeks just trying to get away. It's harder in Europe because it's been settled for so long mm -hmm. that if you, as soon as you get away from one village, you're getting close to another it's village. It's my understanding that they don't particularly like the Dracula um, stigma that they've been stuck with. Well, and they're actually now using it to their advantage they for are. tourism. Yeah. Are they now? That's right. They're embracing it now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's smart. I mean, they, they should. Well, you know, the history of Vlad Dracula, they call him the, the Dracula, the Dracula, the mm -hmm. Impaler. He's, he's probably, he probably is the reason that we're not all Muslim right now. Because right. he stopped the Ottoman Turks at Romania. Yeah. They pretty much were mowing over everybody. Oh, so, yeah. so that particular religion didn't spread east because he stopped it long enough for people who had their traditional religions in, in what we think of as Europe. But, you know, there was the, the fateful event that gave him his reputation was yeah. he just he acted like their friends. He got all these Ottoman Turks into a, uh, you know, I'm not a historian, but I know the story. Sure. He gets gets them into a banquet He's hall. He's ad-libbing here. Guys. Yeah. Gets it into a banquet <laughs> hall. And it was like the Red Wedding on Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what oh, happened. I'm, everybody can relate to that. Yeah, it's, that's that what was, happened. Was that not a shocker? That was Did you shocker. ever see that coming? I didn't see that coming. I it didn't was either. I was shocked beyond belief. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a that was that's Vlad. a Vlad the Impaler. So he took all his enemies, came in, chopped every one of their heads off, stuck them on a stake, and put their spikes. heads out there. And the and the Ottoman Turks said, "This guy's evil. Uh, we don't want to go there." This, they, and they, they he scared them off for long enough for people to. Yeah. to I was in uh, Rodom, Poland earlier this year, uh, and in uh, Czechoslovakia I was over there. And we're talking about, you know, headed that direction. And, it was, you know, I was talking about the Dracula and all. And they're like, you don't want to mention Dracula over there. They don't they don't like that. So that's why I was thinking. Well, yeah, they're kind of using it now for yeah. more tourism. It's well, actually becoming a, a more um, a more touristy place. People are visiting the area. And it's very beautiful. I'll bet. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Just gorgeous. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get the chance to go, but uh, maybe next time. Next yeah. time. We'll, we'll get to do that. Most of my outdoor is in the deserty areas because that's where I live. And we love sand, so we go to the Sahara. But I now also why work do you like the sand? It's clean. It's open. You can see forever. And it's super fun to drive in. It, it's almost a sport, driving in sand. Yeah. So you like to drive. I love to drive. It. And the Land Cruiser, is that what you said? The Land Rover? Land Cruiser. The Land Cruiser. 1997 Toyota Series 80s Land Cruisers. Best car ever made. Very nice. We have four of them in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. They're reliable. I say about that car, when they run good, they run great. When they run bad, they run good. They and when they don't good. run at all, they still run. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just they don't let you down. Yeah. They just Very don't reliable. let you down. So you're talking about uh, your project over in Africa. Yeah, did and I mention we cut ebony? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, CJ touched on it a little bit yeah. uh, when, we, when we had him on earlier talking about the handles that, that they're doing and the collaboration that they're doing with you. Uh, let's talk about you know what you're doing with your guitars and, and the project that you and uh, Luisa have going on. Well, there. sure. Luisa's been selling ebony for a long time, mm -hmm. sourcing it from Cameroon. I've been making guitars for... Longer. A long time, yeah, right. <laughs> longer than she's been alive. Since you, since you were 19, yeah, and, and he's uh, what 25 now? <laughs> yeah, just that. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> just that. We use ebony, and our company grew, and we use it a lot. And both of us found ourselves in the same boat—the boat of the new world, the world that we live in now. You know, Louisa, she wrote something once in a 
letter that we were talking about CITES issues and problems and how we got ourselves here with, with um, so much uh, regulation on wood. And she said something that was, I've never forgotten it, I, I repeat it all the time. She said, it doesn't really matter who caused what, what happened before, it doesn't even matter. What matters is, what are we going to do about the situation we find ourselves in now? Right? Right. And, um, That's a good way to approach it. Yeah. Exactly. And so it came to pass because of all the things that have happened over time that uh, it got to where we had to do so much more proof of legality. Mm -hmm. We call it traceability. Um, you need to be able to follow a piece of wood back. And there's a lot of laws in the United States and in Europe about that. Right. And we knew the two things happened at once. We knew that we probably couldn't really stand up and fight for our source, how good it was. Right. And then we're at a point where we need more wood. And then I have more, yeah. And mm -hmm. then an opportunity came up to buy a, a sawmill that was there through uh, through Luisa. Yeah, it was it was our ebony supplier, and um, he was retiring, and he offered us the opportunity to purchase it. And at that time, we just started our company, and we didn't have the ability to purchase the the company on our own. So we approached Taylor Guitars. I approached Bob, and told him that there was an opportunity there to buy it, and if if they wanted to partner up with us to do the... Very cool. And you probably like light bulb, yeah. Perfect well, opportunity. We, we took a really close look at it and it's... I don't know. I, when I try and describe Cameroon, what we found there and our challenges there, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> because... What did you walk into? <laughs> well, it's a country that's really corrupt. Okay, first of all, the beautiful side of it is it's easy to like the people that you know. Uh, it's super poor, really poor, and dysfunctional, and corrupt. Did I say corrupt? The one thing about corrupt, Cameroon yeah. is it's mm, corrupt. It's very corrupt. Yeah. And the other thing about it is it's corrupt. Yeah. Right? That means to for you to just drive somewhere, you have to deal with that on the drive. We, we met, we have an annual meeting, we have a trade show like this starting tomorrow in the music industry. So wow. they're here. We have our annual. That's here in Vegas also? No, it's in uh, Anaheim called NAM. 100,000 oh. people will attend, 110,000 people oh, wow. around the world. Nice. So yeah. we, we travel over from Spain for the trade show, so we take advantage uh, that we're all here in the same place at the same time. So we have our annual meeting, our, our Ebony Factory Mill annual mm -hmm. meeting, same week that the NAM show starts. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are bouncing from Vegas and then you're going to go to that. That's right. Oh, we wow. just came out here uh, uh, today to be able to help Buck Knives talk about this project. Because it came to pass, um, I'll, I'll jump ahead and then I'll jump back. Okay. But I don't know if people know, but Buck Knives was my next door neighbor for a long time. And they're an we're an alcohol company and they were an alcohol company. Mm -hmm. So they were a San Diego company for 90 three of their 108 years or something, if right. I have the, the numbers about right. And when they finally left El Cajon, they had been literally, you could walk there in five minutes from Taylor. So we've known each other for a really long time. Right. And I supplied them with some ebony for a 50th anniversary folding 110 Hunter. The price was certainly too high at that point for them to be able to do something. Sure. And a year ago, I just called um, Ryan up. Uh, who's uh, in charge of their production, 
and uh, I said, hey, you know, I think that we've reached a point with the mill and Taylor has reached a point where maybe we could make you that inlay, that handle for that right. Foley 110 Hunter out of ebony, which, that was, real ebony yeah. which was the original wood for that knife a long time ago, 53, 54 years ago. Right. I have one that's 50 year, 48 years old that I bought when I was a kid. That's in It's those amazing because of, it seems like everybody that's come by, you know, they're like, you know, I've had mine for 40 years, I've had it for 50 years. Yeah. They've got great stories to go behind their knives. Or I've got my grandfather's, you know, buck knife that he wow. had. And the cool thing is, is, you know, especially for your listeners who are, who are younger and live in this world, you know, every boy at my high school had a buck knife on their belt oh, yeah. all through school. Carried school. <laughs> when you could no have a knife at school. When I was in <laughs> right. school, too. Right. Yeah, you could do that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. elementary school, you could do that. Yeah. yeah. Now it's, you can't. No. You Let's go just to jail. say you can't. What are we going to do about the situation we're in now? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a, a story for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I called him up and, and uh, so I called Ryan Duckett up and I said, you know, I think we could maybe make that handle for you and do it at a price that make it worth that, your while. That, that's the right thing for you and for that that model and so we talked about it and last I'd say February or March they decided yes and it took us until now Africa's Cameroon is a long long ways away not just getting there but getting something out we right. talk about corruption but how many stops did we say a truck makes the other day, like seven or yeah. eight mm-hmm. halting points for just a, a, a container to get from our factory to the... From the woods to your... From, when no, we're no. done making something, the, you explain. Yeah, the wood. The wood, once it's been cut and it's prepared and it's ready to go out of Cameroon to get from the factory to the port, mm-hmm. it gets kind of stopped eight times. Eight times. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. got to have a pocket full of cash to... Well, no. you That's what they're expected to have, our drivers, but we won't accept that. So how do you get through the, the checkpoints? Well, we uh, when we started the factory, when we bought it, um, our business was stopped for three months. Mm-hmm. The whole of our business. The wood coming out of the forest, um, the uh, wood being able to get the permits in different areas of the, of the process. We have a lot of permits to get throughout the whole process of getting wood out of the forest to actually getting the finished part into the container and into the, at the port. So... Um, we just had to hold out. That was a difficult time in our business when um, we started and we said, okay, zero corruption. And that just, it doesn't exist in, in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. We spoke with um, people who are working in environmental agencies and they just looked at us and laughed and said, no corruption? No one does that in, in Cameroon. No one does that in Africa. Right. And we decided that we were going to be the ones who were going to do it. So, yes, yeah, so our business was stopped for three months, I think, Bob. And yeah. And um, yeah, and that was just us proving that you can't play with us. We're not going to pay a bribe. Right. So so now so now it's difficult. Um, our our trucks obviously take longer to get to the border than any other trucks get to the border. So um, so they just they just hold you up and stall you. That's correct. And but the drivers are that. not allowed to they're not allowed to pay a bribe, and they just have to sit there and say I can't do that. Just like when we get stopped on the road and our passports get taken away. They now know us, and they now know that we do not pay bribes. Now, do they do they not threaten jail or you know anything like that? Or no, they th- they threaten things like tickets. <laughs> like I'm pulling you over because you stopped at the red light. I stopped at the red light. Aren't you supposed to? <laughs> not that one. Now, you these, know what I mean? Are these and armed 
like no. post? Um, yeah, yeah, the the posts along yeah. the road are armed. Yeah, uh, the the officers aren't. The police inside the city aren't. The city's a, a mayhem. The traffic is. I'm going to describe the traffic. The Rolling Stones are in town, <laughs> <laughs> and they're doing two shows back to back. Yeah, and so there's people exiting this first show, seventy thousand people from the stadium, and people entering for the second show at the same time. At the same time, and everyone's in a car. <laughs> Everyone's in an automobile. That's the That's traffic. That's the city. That's but what it, it, it looks safe. like. It's a safe place. <laughs> yeah. I travel there and I don't feel What's that I'm the not population safe. there? Uh, three million in that city. Oh, wow. Okay. With infrastructure, it doesn't work. Power goes out all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you're, you, everyone's urinating on the street. Water There's not enough problems. bathrooms. There's, yeah. Everything's made out of a, you know, uh, little wooden shacks, little block shacks. Um, and how and then far out of the city is your, your mill? We're in the city. You're yes. in the city. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. So we cut wood outside in the bush. Right. Uh, right now we're cutting 750 kilometers away from where we where the factory is. Right. So we have big Mercedes Unimogs mm -hmm. that we take to the bush. We work with people that are subcontractors. They work independently under the umbrella of our permit. You have to have a special permit to be able to cut ebony. And only people with those permits can cut ebony, and there's a quota. Mm -hmm. And and how do they regulate that? There's what they call chef de poste. It's the it's the chief in charge of the area. Right. So you get a you get a permit. We're in the our permit expires every year. We have to reapply every year. So yeah, I'm sure to, there's a fee for it, right? Yes, and then other people pay an extra fee, a yeah. corruption fee, which we don't pay. So the first few years we saw our permit going down and down and down until. Finally, yeah. it was realized that even if the permit went down, we were going to keep sitting there and not pay corruption. So we... Um, so, sorry, just to go back to the Unimogs, um, they didn't exist before we bought the company. The Mercedes. That's something that we introduced. Um, one of the reasons is basically so that the, the, our colleagues that are in Cameroon were not having to carry those large logs out on their backs. So it's They were carrying it on their backs? Mm-hmm. Oh, they my put, gosh. They cut blocks of we cut bigger blocks now but it, they take a chainsaw cut a tree down and cut it into imagine a block that's four feet long imagine imagine you have a, a four by six four feet long well if that four by six or four by eight four feet long is made out of ebony weighs 150 pounds oh my gosh and He's those, very and those guys in that out on their shoulders on their head yeah. <laughs> They'll put 120 pounds on their head and just oh walk gosh. it out. Like you see those guys walking with a big, you know, yeah, basket yeah. of peanuts on their head. Yeah. They'll, they'll put 100, 120 pounds on. But Holy those cow. pieces are are wasteful to cut. It's They crack on the way. We want bigger stuff. So we bought Unimogs to make it easier for them. We now, get describe them a Unimog for our listeners. Unimog is made by Mercedes. It's a big, that's a manly truck it's right there. It's a manly <laughs> truck. <laughs> so, it's, it's a military a, vehicle. It's it's, it looks like a um, truck, but it's really a tractor. Okay. And so it's made to articulate. So they use it over there as military and farm implementation and, and city municipal stuff. So that's what they, that's the base truck that they would make so a snow like plow. A, a flatbed or something on it. That can have anything. It could be an ambulance. It could be a, a, a military a okay. troop, troop uh, transporter. It could be a snow plow. Sure. It could be pulling. They're, but the way you utilize it is you've got a big... we got a flatbed on it. Flatbed, okay. Uh-huh. And the flatbed's probably 7 feet wide and 12 feet long. Uh, it can't carry a lot of weight, but 
it doesn't matter how the ground undulates, there's four wheels on the ground. It never rocks up on three. There's so much, even the frame twists. Imagine like the body of an ant, you know, sure. how there's that hinge in the middle. So even, even the frame does that. So the wheels stay on the ground. We're out in the mud. In a lot of places we drive during the rainy season, you don't even steer. The thing just falls into ruts. Mm. Get this, we replace brake shoes every two weeks. Oh my gosh. Because you're just driving this thing through through two and a half feet deep of sandpaper water. Yeah. And you don't even put on the brakes. Yeah. My goodness. It's the maintenance on them. So we keep our Unimogs running because we go over and help and we teach mechanics how to do it. Most Unimogs there I call flower pots. You know, they get broken, they can't get fixed. They've just become a roadside flower pot. Oh wow. You know, stuff gets taken off them. So keeping things, the environment there is rough. The corruption is rough. It's worse. <laughs> the um, so infrastructure is bad. It's hard. Yeah, um, you guys battling. And now is anybody else following suit with you on this? or There's other suppliers. Tell them. There are other suppliers, but they um, they continue to do their work in the same way. Um, because it's not easy to do what we do. Yeah. And it's not cheap. It's extremely expensive to do what we do. Well, breaks alone. <laughs> Just breaks alone. <laughs> Just breaks alone. Yeah. Everything. everything well, one we set do of bearings for that Unimog. That, that wear out cost twenty thousand dollars for oh my gosh to replace the rear bearings in both of those things. We've since we've um, bought the factory, we've done so many things there. I mean, we doubled wages. Um, we built a well so that um, so that the community as well as our, our colleagues could actually get water, which I don't have to explain to everyone um, what water is to to people in Africa. You know, yeah. potable water. Um, for example, uh, when we bought the factory and we saw the workers stop at lunchtime and sit down and not eat lunch, we were like, wait, what? they're not eating lunch. They're stopping for lunch and they're not eating lunch. What happened? Right. So very soon we, we doubled wages and then it was lunchtime and we stopped for lunch. Wait, they're not eating lunch. So we said, okay, that didn't solve that problem. They're still not eating lunch. Okay, we bought a canteen. So we built a canteen uh -huh. so they could have free lunch at work. Yeah. So they just they couldn't afford the lunch, the food? Um, yeah, people in Cameroon, they have it. a lot of family to look after. And um, basically one in four people worked in Cameroon. So the money was just falling out of their hands for many reasons. So we wanted our, our workers to have lunch. And then it was the same with the doctor. They weren't able to go to the doctor because they didn't have any money. Right. But we were giving them more wages and they still weren't going to the doctor. So we have now a, a factory doctor, a, a company doctor. Very good. So those are just examples of things that, that we've done to you improve. emergency sure. medical fund, things exactly. like that. Exactly, yeah. We have scholarships for a scheme for scholarships for the children to go to school. Um, things so that, are, you know, that we're so used to in the Western right. world. And all the, all the things that you were talking about uh, Cost-wise, you know, this is kind of the cost of doing business. That's why ebony is so expensive. You know, it's one of the reasons why. Especially our ebony, it's more expensive than anybody else's. And so we struggle with that, too, because yeah. in the marketplace, um, uh, I call it the, the, um, the dented can at the grocery store. Uh -huh. For example, if there's... 20 cans of tomato soup and one of them has a dent in it, you're not buying that can, are you? 
You're just not buying it. Usually not. You're, yeah. you're like, <laughs> I, you may be planning on eating that soup in your car but you and throwing that can away. Yeah. I mean, you might go home and make lunch in an hour, and that can's going to get dented a sec. It's fine. And, and, and more than that, if you're going down the aisle way, and you look down and you realize you picked up a can that was dented, you'll turn around and go back. And <laughs> so the same thing we have, we have um, in, in kind of the same way, imagine if there's... If there's, a, if there's a factory somewhere that can buy a fingerboard for their guitar for $5 and this happy fingerboard for six ninety-five, mm-hmm. they're, they're like, oh, well, we love what you guys are doing in the forest, but got to go with the price, you know? Right. So some of what we're trying to do is move some of the wood outside the musical instrument business. Why? Because musical instruments have been buying and using ebony for 300 years and they know how to buy it and they know how to control it's in their dna they don't even know they're doing it and if i could take you guys to where our wood comes from okay we'll it would, go. <laughs> it would it, it, it's you literally it's literally life changing yeah you you can you can never yeah. you can never unsee what you saw you can never unknow what you know you can never think about these things we take for granted all day long so now you could buy folding 110 hunter for uh, you know, the, the intrinsic value is higher than the price of that knife. You know, it's it's really, let's admit it, it's cheap right. for what you get. And there's ebony on it, but the fact is, is that the knife maker can val- and the knife buyer can value, it's a new chance to value that wood a little bit higher. Right. You, put a, you put a more personal touch to it with the story that you have behind, you know, the, the handle, you know, the ebony, the wood that you're buying. We, we sort of, you know, in any business that you're in, it's not all wishing upon a star and worshiping your thing. There's, there's a reality to it. Yeah. So we love guitars. We make guitars. We love, love, love guitars. But we're, we're also in the business of it. So we're, we're, we're used to it. But we say sometimes in the guitar industry, just literally, to be frank, yeah, it's not to just be frank we'll say sometimes the difference between a good guitar and a great guitar is the story. Right. And right? It's, it's you guys, the thing that you're doing, it's not just you're a, you know, uh, an ebony supplier. You're improving lives there. You know, your, right. your mission is far beyond just getting the wood from there to, to America, to whatever. And I, and I have to say that that wasn't the idea. When I presented the project to Bob um, eight years ago, this wasn't going to be this amazing project that we were going to improve lives and find um, uh, responsibly sourced ebony. It was a business deal. We we're going to make lots of money with it, which we haven't, by the way. <laughs> but it was a business deal. It, we didn't know what we were going in for. Yeah. What is it you say, Bob? You go in for the ebony? So we went for the ebony. We stayed for the people. Uh, you know? That's why we that's stayed. Good. Yeah. I like that. Because it would be it'd be easier to not do it. Yeah. It'd just be it easier would. to not do it. And cheaper. And cheaper. It'd be cheaper to just buy the ebony from our competitors. <laughs> but then we would be back to square one, which we're buying ebony that doesn't fit what we feel the new laws require, which is right. to know where it's come from and know how it's done. So we had to go in and buy it ourselves, do it ourselves, so that we know what we're doing. Not only that, we have, we're a million dollars of investment into this, what we call the Ebony Project, and that's the replanting. So we're gonna plant, do our biggest planting this March, which is gonna be somewhere around 3,000 trees. Yeah. Oh, and nice. um, we've got 20,000 trees in the nursery right now. We have a full-time biologist. We have a geneticist learning how to do tissue culture oh because <laughs> the um, yeah, there's a whole institute. Well, going. You guys aren't making any money. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, <laughs> I've to also be a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, you well, set it up as a. Well, luckily we have me, and I made some money making guitars over the years, and so I, so some of the stuff I fund by myself, which sure. I don't mind saying, but um, but that's that's how we can afford some of these things, and that's where, you know, if I were to try and die a poor man, I wouldn't mind spending, you know, the fortune, the good fortune I've had right. on getting trees in the ground. I mean, Taylor also has a project in Hawaii doing koa wood, and we're planting koa trees, oh, okay. doing a very similar thing there. And not to take attention off this ebony thing, but mm. this is becoming part of what I do. Okay. And I was uh, going to ask, do you, do you have other projects around the world that you that you were doing this? So that was going to lead into that. Yeah. Well, we, we do do that, but this one right here, it's, it's going to it's gonna suck us dry. It's it's really <laughs> all we can do. But one of the things that we really want to do is if we can be a demonstration project then somebody else could come along and follow us. Now, we may be doing it in a country that's not ready for the help. We hope that they will pay attention. Sure. Sometimes, you know, you have that friend that you're trying to help, and they're just not ready for the help. Yeah. You know? Well, countries can be like that, too. And Cameroon is, is in a way, like that friend who needs help. They're, ju they're just too steeped in their old bad habits to be ready for help. Now, the, the replanting that you're doing, is that something they want they weren't doing it all so no, they didn't really see that they're going to eventually deforest their country and they're not going to have a, an economy and nobody has ever planted ebony ever except for a token tree here and there oh my goodness and um, um and so um, <laughs> i'll give you another fidget <laughs> so so yeah we um um we're really the first people to do this. And you can't just plant ebony. Yeah, it wasn't even easy to do this. No. We couldn't just go plant a tree, which is something right. that frustrated me at the beginning. Which is when why you brought in all these scientists and... Exactly, which is the, the project. Yeah, and, yeah, which is the project with CBI. And but also legal. Yeah, but I mean, at the yeah, beginning, when yeah. we started telling people about what we were doing in, in Cameroon with the Krilikam ebony, even before the ebony project, the replantation project, um, I would go to places to talk about you know, the great work that we're starting to do. And it was all like, so are you replanting? And we're like, no, we're just trying to get things legal right so now. It's a really good way to, <laughs> and to ruin a good party, exactly. huh? Exactly. And like, by the way, you can't even replant. You can't just go plant a tree if you want to. So it was very frustrating at the beginning, that, that, you know, trying to just get things right. And, mm -hmm. and, and everyone was just going, well, are you replanting? Well, no, it's not that easy. So it wasn't even easy to actually start to replant. It's terribly difficult. Were, were there any uh, blowbacks for you guys replanting from from the officials, the government there? I mean, no, they've left us alone. But there, it's hard to get people who are willing to put a shoulder to it in a village. We're trying to work with villages, uh -huh. so they have a. There's a law. Um, I think I could probably quote this close enough, Louisa, that says any any tree. This is in Cameroon. Any tree that is not planted by a man belongs to the state. Oh, so, I see. So that means that if I plant a tree that takes 150 years to grow, who's going to know that that was planted by a man? Unless you register And it. that somebody owns it. So we, so our project has also put together this, the big book of silviculture. It's a silviculture is forestry. Mm -hmm. and so it's a silvicultural registry, and we have the, the ability now to put a plant in the ground with GPS coordinates, and we register that, you know, you know, Balablis planted that, you know, tree. Mm -hmm. 
And then that way his great-great-grandchild, because they see here, here my grandfather, great-great-grandfather planted that tree. Right, so keeping stars. records of it. Yeah. Now, that's a long time from now, but it's a good start. So what we do, if you were just wanted to plant ebony trees, that would be a, a futile pursuit. It's, it would be futile. Where, where do you plant them? Whose land do you plant them on? Who do you get to plant them? How do you plant them? How do you have access to that land? How are they not going to get cut down three years from now? Yeah. Right? And an ebony tree takes a long time to grow. A, a, a three-year-old seedling is it's not 18 inches tall. Oh, right? wow. It takes a that very long. Very And it's also one of the highest carbon sequestering trees there is. Those dense trees sequester more carbon. So there's a lot of global interest. By the way, um, I hired a Taylor guitar, um, a, a gentleman named Scott Paul, who Luis and I work closely with. He, he works on a lot of these things. Couldn't make it today, but... Um, he was director of the Wood Campaign at Greenpeace in Washington, D.C. for 14 years. So conservation policy is his 30-year career. He knows it. He knows everybody in it. Right. And, and so for us to become green, so to speak, or to put back or to do the right thing, I really hired the most clever, experienced man. Scott's the best in the industry, if you ask me. <laughs> you know what I think of him? Yeah. Since he's, he's great. Yeah, she loves working with him because he's smart, he's clever, he knows and he's dedicated to this stuff, yet he understands what business is. Right. So when we look at all of these different elements of it, ebony is a, it's an iconic species, it's a demonstration species. So how do we get these people to do it? Well, we have an institution, we have many foresters working on it, and we work with a village and we teach them what's called agroforestry. For people who might not be familiar with that, think of forestry and agriculture put together. But I'm not talking about wheat or annual products, I'm talking about what we call permaculture, and that would equal fruit. So you, you, you plant a tree, it gives you food every year. So you make um, agroforestry projects, plant the ebony trees, and we give them the ebony trees and pay them, we give them to them, and then we pay them to take care of them for the first five, five. four or five years. Five. And by the, the way, the ebony tree does also give a fruit. Oh, it does? Yeah. I did it's not persimmon. realize that. Yeah, the persimmon, oh, the persimmon is, a, persimmon. is an ebony. ebony. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just learned something today. Yeah. Now our persimmon doesn't. Our persimmon, that's Diospyros khaki, doesn't um, produce a, a black wood. Although it's hard, it's white wood, but black. Yeah. The, I would say in the United States, our persimmon tree, but the 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 Diospyros crassiflora heron, which is the species that grows in Cameroon, produces a big giant persimmon. That's we, edible. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We have film now of the seed dispersers. It's amazing, I've got film from daytime and nighttime because we have camera blinds out in the forest, in a deep, deep, deep forest where we're studying the ecology of the ebony tree. You want to know who pollinates it, who moves the seeds, how does it get out? Well, we know now that the ebony is, is not being dispersed well naturally because the animals in the forest are being hunted out as meat, you know, the-, the Bush meat. The, right. We call it bush meat. And um, so we have films of, it looks like Toy Story, the movie. It, nighttime comes, and everybody comes to eat these fruits that have fallen. Little tiny rats, warthogs, buffalo, all kinds of deer, <laughs> squirrels, uh, different monkeys. And then the chimpanzee cool. comes in. Uh -huh. and, and the thing that amazes me, about the, what I like about this is the chimpanzee's just straight up smarter than every one of those guys. And he's the only animal who notices the camera. And he's, he goes to eat the fruit and he just looks at the camera and just staring at it. Like, what's this? And he comes over, he's got his face all up in the grill of the camera looking. 
you know, it's just really interesting. And, and all and that's no going one had, on. Yeah, no one had any of this knowledge beforehand, before we have the Ebony Project. No one actually knew how Ebony propagates. Now, is this the, the name of your your organization, is the Ebony Project? Or that's the name I, of I just... I think we missed that. Let's okay, so we have, this is kind of confusing. <laughs> Would you like to explain that? No, no, the, go okay. ahead, Bob. So, uh, Taylor Guitars and Medinter Trade in Spain are partners in a company called Creelicam, which Creely is Creelicam. Creelicam okay. is a na made up name by the previous owner. Okay, okay. They're, they're actually... I was going to ask, is it somebody's last name or what is that? Yeah. You can explain what it means if you like. It, 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 it was it Corelli, which is, yeah, it was Corelli, which is the name of his company in, in Spain and Cam from Cameroon. That was it. Okay. It was that basic. And I believe, Luisa, that he made the name Creelie from he was an accountant, yeah. so it's like reading books or credit yeah. books, credit yeah. books. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. it was, yeah, it was just very basic. So he just called it Creely Cam. Every business in Cameroon has a cam on it. It's like water cam, you know, food cam, you know, something cam, this cam, soccer cam, yeah. right. you know, uh, you know, dry cleaning cam, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Sure. So we're Creely Cam. Remind me where the dry cleaning is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, when those people walk out of their shacks, they're so dapper. Yeah. It's the most amazing thing. They're, really? they're, they wear the whitest shirts and the polished shoes with white socks and dressed to the nines. And, and cream and suits. Plus. And cream suits, cream not colored dark colored suits. suits. Yeah. And by the way, every guy that works for us at Creeley Cam is ripped. Like there's, I've well, never seen. Well, I mean, if they're carrying 150 pounds, <laughs> no, they're, they're, these, no, the these guys, the, these guys are ripped. I've never seen stronger person people in my life with functional fitness and just ripped. Right. So. Uh, anyways, we own Creelicam together, Creelicam. and then Creelicam cuts this wood and sells it, and then the Ebony Project is a side project, which we're doing actually in conjunction with UCLA. They're the brains. Oh, okay. We hired UCLA, or UCLA um, caused us to donate, but me they have and... a forestry me, department there? No, or? UCLA has one and only foreign affiliate. This is their first and only foreign affiliate for UCLA. Okay. It's nice. amazing. And it's all based on the work of Professor Tom Smith, who's been doing work in Creelicam as a UCLA professor for 35 years. When he was a graduate student, he went there looking for a bird, I believe it was, and he went into Creelicam, pitched a tent by a river. Into Cameroon. In the, in the, yeah, into Creelicam. Thank you. <laughs> went into Cameroon, pitched a tent by the river in the middle of the Jaw Desert, DJA, Jaw, and um, which is where we have a research camp now. And he put that tent in and he lived in it for three years studying this ecology and he's been back, he loves the people, he knows the people. Right. And he met me, I met him, we met over there and we decided to team up our efforts with his efforts to use what they have to do. So we, we hope to expand the Ebony Project. Eventually we'll probably get funding from a country or something through UCLA, not through Taylor or through Creeley Camp or through Medinter. Now, so do you have a website? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. The people, as our listeners can go and look, look this up as they're listening. So to read more about Creeley Camp, it's creeleycamp.com. And then from there, you can actually get di redirected to the Ebony Project, which is on the Taylor Guitars website. Mm -hmm. Okay. So go to Taylor Guitars to get the Ebony Project? Yes, yeah, so you could go to taylorguitars.com. Okay. You could go to Creeley Camp, which is C-R-E-L-I-C-A-M. Okay. Creeley, C-R-E-L-I. You could also go to madinter.com, M-A-D-I-N-T-E-R, madinter.com, and you can see all the other woods they sell, and they speak about it too. And it's interesting hearing their story and our story spoken in a different voice, mm -hmm. European and a 
and a U.S. voice. Yeah. So it's very good. So, um, uh, let's go on somewhere with your website. Do you have social media? You have Instagram, Facebook that people can go to as Taylor well? Taylor's got Taylor's got all the social media. And how can they get behind? How can our listeners get behind and help your, your Ebony project? The best way is to buy a buck knife. Yeah. There you go. No, really. I'm, no. I'm serious. We don't have a mechanism for people to... Like donation give money or, or do something like that. Offer the way I look at it is, nothing. look, we'll take care of that. What happens, what I've seen in um, environmental products is maybe a guitar company or some other company will go, well, we're making this one model. It's made out of FSC wood or it's made out of, you know, this, you know, sustainable thing. And then the rest of their stuff's not. Right. I want sustainability and conservation to be systemic in our company. And I tell my readers, it's my job to make cool guitars out of woods that are easy on the earth. I'm going to do that for you. You're not going to know the difference. I'll bear the pain. You buy the guitars. But inform yourself as to when you can buy a product, if you know that this one is done better than another one, prefer that. And that funds that work. It helps that demonstration. We're not the end-all and be-all of environmental work. There are people that are doing it better than us, been doing it longer than us. But I'm telling you what, we're a demonstration project. We're doing what we can. We're putting tons into it. For us to have a partner like Buck, and and especially it's kind of old home week for me, but we use bigger pieces of wood. They use smaller pieces of wood. Why should that wood go in the trash? We're monetizing it. We're doing real life business. I believe nothing happens ever good in the world until you sell something. So I'm thinking there there are other aspects. I mean, we're looking at a a, a book right there that you know, we're going to firearms. You know, we're we talk firearms as well. AK 47s got an AK 47 uh, expert here. Uh, is ebony a wood that would be good on a AK 47? Well, I can answer that. No. Okay. It'd be way too heavy. Too heavy. No, way it is. too heavy. Okay. Yeah. There you go. It's heavy, and ebony makes terrible large pieces. You don't. You'll never. You'll see rosewood furniture. Yeah. You'll never see ebony furniture. Gotcha. Because ebony cracks when it gets too big. Okay. It'd be. It would be an awful wood for that. It's. It's. We'll scratch it, that idea. Yeah. Never we, we mind. Could, we're gonna. <laughs> do, would you but like to apply for great. product development there, Lefty? It, I, dude, I come up with ideas left and right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll come up with something. Thanks that'll for be trying. Useful. It's actually. It's Don't actually, give up on me yet. It's actually hard to come up with a good idea for ebony, but they do come. Yeah. And this. Um, the, the inlay on the on the folding 110 hunter is a great idea and it actually puts that knife back to what it, it originally was ebony's interesting because it's nature's waterproof wood mm-hmm. it's once you finally dry it and drying it is tricky but i've been drying it for 45 years and we we make it down pat yeah we make 800 guitars a day using ebony for the fingerboard and the bridge think of a violin the chin rest where you see people holding it right and the fingerboard that they're pushing the, the, the they're pushing those steel strings down and vibrating, those are made out of ebony and they hold up for a century. Yeah. You know, you think, well, a knife goes through a lot of abuse, but a lot of people take their tactical, you know, titanium knife when they're out in the mud. Well, a violin builder or player has to take their violin everywhere. They don't have sure. a tactical violin. And they, they put that chin and it's they put those strings. It's tactical for their use, though. Sure is. In and the that true sense of the up. word tactical, it yeah. is. Yeah. They exactly. are being tactical. Exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, might not be military, but it's tactical. It's tactical. So, Absolutely. Uh, so at any rate, the wood is unique in its properties. It's perfect for these knife handles. And, and Buck, you know, does a lot of volume, which helps us too. And, and it, it also helps the whole Ebony project because it spreads the word. So we have another, another group of people who are interested in, you know, guitars and knives coming together isn't something you think is going to happen every day. Right. Yeah. So where can they get your ebony handle knife, Chris? So they're able to either go onto our website, buckknives.com, or they can go to just about any dealer out there. And ask for it. In the country and ask for it. So it, it's out there. And which knife is this again? This is anything that carried our wood product. So uh, we put it on all of our 110s, 102. Oh, so your 110, Yeah, 112s, all of those. Very cool. Very good. Well, we didn't really get to talk guitars, so that that'll give us an opportunity to have you back on. Yeah, and uh, we can we can talk about you know, your guitar business as well, That's and your, your music history, and mm-hmm. we'll get into some other things as well. But it's been a treat. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be on and, and sharing you. this information. And I know the Leadheads were, you know, they'll support you. They'll go to your website. They'll learn more about the Ebony project that you guys are doing. And they're going to buy guitars and they're going to buy knives. That's great. You know, the, the thing is about people who hunt and are spending their time out in in, in uh, the natural places trying to hunt, They, I find they're as good of a conservationist as anybody else. I mean, Absolutely. they're trying to keep forests in good condition. They're, they want to have animals out there to hunt. Uh, they like being there. So there's, there's so much that we have. You have more in common with a... A, a guy playing a guitar than you than you think. Than you really think, you know? yeah. Uh-huh. And I want to have you back on if you would uh, do us the pleasure of coming back on sometime. I'd love to. Uh, and let's talk about some of your expeditions because they sound like uh, they would be very, very exciting to hear about. Love to get out there. It's really fun. I'd be happy to come back on. Okay, sounds great. Okay. Guys, we're going to be back with more from the 2019 SHOT Show here at the official lead quarters, Buck Knives. I really enjoyed that interview there with Bob and Louisa. Great things that they're doing with their company, Creeley Cam, over in Cameroon, Africa. Make sure you guys go and support their efforts, the Ebony Project, by buying a Taylor's guitar, Buck Knives, their 110s, their 112s. I know they're both sporting the Ebony in those, and I think um, think they're going to be having the Ebony in pretty much any of their wood-handled knives or it's all going to be ebony. Uh, and then I know some of you leadheads have companies out there as well. If you've got um, a need, uh, maybe you could use some ebony. Get in touch with me, talkingletgmail.com. I'll put you in touch with these guys. I know I talked with Jeremy over at Smith & Bradley Watches, and uh, there's going to be a project in the upcoming future with some ebony and a watch. Something cool to look forward to. So, hey guys, that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Make sure you go and support those that support this podcast. Right on Optics, the official optics of Talking Lead. Right on Optics.com. Modern Spartan Systems. Don't just clean your firearms. Optimize them with Modern Spartan Systems' line of gun cleaning products, lubrications, and their engine oil additive, the TVT engine oil additive. We'll keep all your vehicles and anything with an engine running great and extend the life of that. ModernSpartanSystems.com. Caltech Weapons. Check out their new 22 LR pistol and their 12-gauge shotgun, the KS7. Very similar to their KSG. It's just a single-barrel version of that. There's a couple other different feature options that they've got on the new KS7. 
that's really cool. It's a lighter weight, and uh, it's not going to break the bank either. Very affordable 12-gauge bullpup shotgun. Keltechweapons.com. And, of course, you can just go to your local gun store and pick these up. All of these products, if they're not carrying ride-on options, they're not carrying modern spark systems, they're not carrying Keltech, ask them to get it in. And if you're not shooting AR-500 steel targets, you're missing out. X-Steel Targets has the best, most affordable AR-500 steel targets on the market today. XSteelTargets.com. And you guys can also help support the show by going to 1776united.com. Buy our t-shirts, the Leadhead Brigade t-shirts, our classic talking lead t-shirts, Leadhead Brigade patches. And then go to dip123.com forward slash talking lead to get your evil black assault mugs, the talking leady. Better than a Yeti, keeps your drinks minutes colder or hotter. The talking, get yourself a talking leady at dip123.com forward slash talking lead. And that's our good buddy Danny with Dipstick Hydrographics. For all your hydrographic dipping needs, coating needs, they can they can take care of you over there at dip123.com. And another reminder, coming up April the 6th, we have that uh, training class with Rob Pincus and ICE Training at the Nashville Royal Range. You can go to ICE Training's website, icetraining.us, and sign up for that April 6th class. And then we've also got one coming up in July. July the 17th in Palo, California, in Exeter, California, July 20th, and those are special leadhead discount courses. So if you guys want to go sign up for those, you're going to get a special discount. And when you're putting in your name, um, as you're signing up for that class, make sure that you let them know that you're a leadhead uh, during the registration process. Put uh, When you're putting your name in, put leadhead uh, and then your name. Uh, in that somewhere. I don't think there's a, a space for you to, to like leave comments or anything, but uh, when you put your name in there, just designate Talking Lead, Leadhead, something along those lines so they'll know to give you that awesome discount. So until next episode, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close and your firearms closer. Just a trail.